Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a no my haere mai, kia ora, and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Kia ora, Inika. Kia ora, Alison. Look, on today's show, we're going to talk about what we've been reading and what's on our to-be-read list, and then we've got a hot tip to share with you. Now, as many of you will know, earlier this week, we in Aotearoa marked the second anniversary of the Christchurch terror attacks. We've taken some time this week to remember those who were tragically killed at the Marseille del Nord and the Linwood Mosques. And we're remembering their families and friends who lost so many loved ones. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind, I thought I might share a, a recent read and a couple of other books as well. But um, the one I'm going to speak to you about first is one I found via a really, really good review um, by a local bookstagrammer, and she's also an AL, um, Auckland Library's library member. Um, so a little shout out to um, Never Not Reading on Instagram for introducing me to this excellent debut novel, which is called uh, The Beauty of Your Face by Sahar Mustafa. Now, this is a 2020 publication, so nice and new. Um, it only has um, a physical copy at this stage. Um, the main character of our book, Afaf um, is like our author, um, a Pakistani-American woman, and she's born and raised in Chicago. When we first meet her at the start of the book, um, she's in her dual role. She's principal of the local high school for Muslim girls, and she's wife and mother of three as well. Now, the day starts pretty pretty, um, pretty normally with sort of school and family admin sort of jostling mm-hmm. for position in her mind, but um, then it takes a sudden turn and erupts into chaos and tragedy. Um, we're suddenly in a tense standoff between Afaf and the gunman who is responsible for killing 15 of her students and teachers during the choir re- rehearsal, having walked into the into the mm. school disguised as a maintenance person. Oh. Now, from this shocking opening chapter, we then circle back to the sort of defining event of Afaf's childhood. Uh, it's the traumatic disappearance of her older sister, Nada. Um, a little bit like Strange Flowers, the book that I was reading a couple of weeks ago that we talked about. Oh, yes. Um, you know, it's the disappearance without warning and without mm. any kind of... Um, any follow-up, no way of knowing what exactly has happened, um, causes a massive strain on the family. And and in this family, they already had a kind of a strained relationships going on, um, but this really means that it starts to disintegrate um, completely. And particularly the relationship between the children, younger children in the family and mother is, um, is largely lost, particularly with the daughter. She feels this very, very, um, very deeply. Now, for a host of reasons, Afaf's mother has has never really settled into their new life in the States after their move from Pakistan. And when her loneliness and frustration becomes coupled with that grief of losing a child mm. and no resolution of, of what's happened, um, she becomes chronically depressed and really quite numbed to the needs of of those who have been left behind and to her own, her own needs as well. Yeah. You know, that thread that you're talking about of the, the matriarch of the family um, not 
really adjusting to life in the new country. That really reminds me of the book Homeland Elegies that mm. I've talked about by Ayad Akhtar, um, also set in America in that sort of Chicago area. And, you know, it's good to see this aspect of the immigrant experience being represented. I think it's you're seeing it more and more in literature, aren't you? Yeah, and I think it's a very important one to remember when we're thinking about people who have um, come from other countries. Um, you know, it's really tied into those gender roles and those traditional gender roles that can be reinforced um, when when coming to a new country. So you've got a language barrier, um, you know, and the loneliness of a woman stuck at home who's not really able to make any connections because she's not working outside the home or she might be afraid to kind of um, engage with the local community. And it sort of becomes a bit of a vicious circle, really. Um, for Afaf, um, the, the kind of split from her mum is creates this kind of desperate need for connection, really. Um, she starts looking for support elsewhere. She's a, By the time she gets to high school, she's sort of um, in the bedrooms, in the back seats um, of cars um, with white boys in her neighbourhood who are sort of looking for a bit of exotic um, mm. distraction, yeah, without really respecting where, um, her story at all and her, her um, background. And then later on in the book, you get this sort of late awakening and adoption of Islam. Um, there's a sort of a, a shift in her in her um, uh, there's a yeah a crux where she realizes that actually this is what's been missing from her life, and she joins the local mosque community with her father, and um, and really embraces it um, and embraces the warmth of that community that she has there. Now, this novel is really, really absorbing. Um, you, you're switching between the events of the one day, the school shooting, and then Afaf's life journey throughout the book, forward and back. And this is really helps to pull you along because you really want to find out the steps that brought her and her family to this place and this day, and then what's going to happen after that day as well. So as I said, Mustafa is herself a Muslim, Pakistani-American woman. And the beauty of your face really rings true. You know, it's a very authentic voice. Um, it explores ties and limitations of the family, um, different experiences of, you know, an immigrant coming first to a country and that f next generation um, who are both yeah. kind of caught in different ways between two worlds with values that are often in conflict with each other. And it also looks at the strength and the comfort of, of uh, that a strong faith and a caring community can bring, particularly when... Um, there's a family breakdown. They can mm. sort of pick up those pieces. Um, it's quite a simply written book, quite reflective. Um, yeah, not a long book. Um, I think it was, yeah, it's a really, really beautiful book. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. Awesome. Yeah, I really, um, really, really recommend it. I'm really glad that it, it popped mm. up on my Instagram. <laughs> Um, so while I'm while I'm speaking about our own voice writing from Muslim authors, I'd like to just mention a recently published um, local non-fiction book that uh, many of you may have heard of. It's called Husna's Story, uh, My Wife, The Christchurch Massacre and My Journey to Forgiveness by Farid Ahmed with Kimberly Davis um, helping to write this. Uh, published last year and it's available at Auckland Libraries in all the formats. Um, so, you know, lots to choose from there. It's a, a combined memoir, love story, and a call for peace and unity. Um, Farid um, recounts his life journey with his wife Husna, their immigration from immigration from Bangladesh to New Zealand, the car accident that left him confined to a wheelchair and paraplegic, 
and the selfless care and service that Husna gave to her family and to the members of the Muslim community in Christchurch. Um, he also tells the story of the fateful day, um, March 15, mm. 2019. He notes that Husna had already helped to get a group of women and children out of the mosque into safety, but she was tragically killed when she re-entered the building to go and find her husband, Farid, who'd actually managed to escape through another exit in the meantime. So really such sad circumstances. Um, you may recall um, Fareed's speech at the National Remembrance Service that was held two weeks after the attacks. Um, he memorably called for unity, peace and forgiveness. And uh, just a little quote from his speech there. I want a heart that is full of love and care and full of mercy and will forgive lavishly because this heart doesn't want any more life to be lost. Yeah. Oh, it, it was an incredible speech, wasn't it? And, you know, I'm so grateful for this book and I'm so glad that I've read it. Mm. Um, that display of forgiveness by Farid was astonishing, really, you know, particularly when the attacks and, and the grief were still so raw. That's right. It was so soon after, you know, the atrocity. And his... Um, his selflessness and generosity, um, aspects of him that have continued to be so healing for the entire community. Because mm, he was a senior leader at the uh, Al Noor Mosque, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's continued his his amazing work. And I just can't imagine the loss of of his wife Husna must have just been unbearable. Um, but you know, it's I think it's so good that their story together has been shared, like. This and so brave of him to to write the, the memoir. Mm. Um, but this story, what's good about it is that it will become part of our collective memory for, forever. That's so true. Won't it? Mm. Yeah, it's it's such a an amazing piece of work. Um, their love story, um, you probably picked this up as well. That was so romantic. Mm. It's they just had a, the most beautiful. Relationship, lovely connection. Yeah, yeah. they're really soulmates. And Husna was um, an outstanding woman. She was really a, a truly good human being, you know. And then, of course, she was one of fifty-one human beings who who we lost that day. Now, um, one thing that I thought I probably should point out mm. to readers is that parts of the book are hard, very hard to read. Um, they're shocking, but. It's done very well, and I, you know, I think it's it is worth worth reading. Yeah, um, important. You, to it's read important. It really. Yes, yeah. and it's not done in a way that's um, gratuitous at all. No. It's, n- n- you know, don't worry about that. Um, and you know, I really think if there's one book that that should be on everyone's to be read list, it's this one. Um, and as we said before, it's available in all the formats. So. Get yourself a copy of it. Absolutely. Yeah. What have you been reading this week, Alison? Oh, well, I've been, and I've been raving to you about this <laughs> earlier, I've been reading the most gorgeous book, and it's also about the search for identity, but it's how we do that through travel, and it's called Around the World in 80 Trains, a 45,000-mile adventure, <laughs> and um, I kept wanting to say kilometre, um, <laughs> but it's by the British journalist and travel writer Monisha Rajesh. Now, um, Monisha was born in England in 1982, and she was the child of two Indian doctors, um, and her Indian heritage becomes relevant as the story unfolds. Mm-hmm. Now, 
train travel, I don't know about you, but I find it fascinating. And it's something that um, holds this sort of fascination for many people. Mm. And, you know, it can have that real romance and mystique. And yet the actual experience of this mode of transport, (laughs) you know, can range from complete luxury, Mm. which I don't think I've experienced yet one day. Um, (laughs) But it ranges from that to the sort of dangerous and unhygienic. (laughs) You know, those trains, which you may have caught that where you try not to use the bathroom or, or so get anywhere near it. What is it about trains bathrooms that yes. means that everything goes haywire? It sure does, <laughs> doesn't it? Probably even on some of the nicer ones. <laughs> I um, once travelled on a third class ticket through Thailand mm, um, on a train. Woman. Yeah, it was character building, I would say, and sort of memorable. <laughs> I, I won't forget it. I bet. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the pigs that I was sitting next to on the train survived. They're probably not still around, sadly. But anyway, so getting back to the book. So Monisha Rajesh, she's got a real passion for rail travel. And she's previously written about train travel um, around India. Mm-hmm. And that's a, another book that would be worth looking at. But in this book, even though it says around the world, they basically travel all around the northern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And her aim in writing the book was to discover whether the romance of the railway still exists. So the journey takes her seven months. Wow. And it's a real feat of endurance. But fortunately, she um, takes her partner, Jeremy, with her and they share the ups and downs of, of the trip. And they catch um, 80 different trains <laughs> that are, you know have distinctly variable comfort, reliability and safety. <laughs> and this helps them travel the, the 45,000 miles. Wow. And, um, you know, just the scale of a of trip like this would be enough to daunt even the hardiest adventurers among Absolutely. among us. So they they um they start in London and they um, travel tr- with a Ural pass, and they travel ending up in Moscow, where they have um, some really surreal and kind of nightmarish experiences. And this is where they're first subject to racist profiling, um, because they are both people of colour, mm. and this. Be- it's a real shock to them because um, they get accused of stealing from the train. They, the passports get ripped out of their hands and they're in the night sleeper and they get woken up. They're the only ones on the train, of course, that get treated like this. It's and so then frightening, isn't it? It slowly dawns on them and they, and they say it's because we're brown, you know. So um, terrible um, experience to have to have. But anyway, after... Um, Russia, they they catch the the Trans Mongolian railway to Beijing, and um, which is an eleven day journey. It's just huge distances Amazing. that we're thinking about. And then they they go all through Asia and they learn so much about twentieth century history, um, particularly the horrors of World War Two. Mm. And they well, train travel featured. Yes, that's right. And and the railways that that were built by prisoners of war. um, So it's uh, it's a really accessible way of learning um, a a lot about that history. And now Jeremy, the partner, he has quite an uncomfortable time in in parts of Asia because he's of Asian heritage, but he, it's the old story. He's he finds that he doesn't fit in mm. in his homeland because he he thinks of himself as a Brit. Mm-hmm. You know, he likes to go down to the pub on a Friday and have a beer and 
pie or, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so it's quite uncomfortable. And and this is what Monisha had discovered when she'd first visited India and travelled on the, the trains there. Mm. But it must be quite a universal experience for the, the children of, of migrants. Yes. So, you know, where do I where do I fit in? Now, they do get on a, a plane at one stage because they go to Vancouver and then they head east across Canada to Toronto and that's on that um, amazing trip. It's about 3,000 miles, I think, called the Canadian. Um, And she says that's the most efficient way to absorb the vastness of the world's second largest country in one sitting. Mm. So, And they love that and the things they see. And her writing is so good. You really feel as though you're on the journey with her. And so then after crisscrossing all over the top part of the globe, they finally take the Orient Express um, in luxury, but which is sort of well-earned <laughs> and it takes them sort of almost back to London. Um, but so for um, Rajesh, the, the romance of train travel, she says that it certainly does live on um, and she it's in the people, she says. The passengers mm. should always tell their story to strangers, offer advice, share their food and, and give up their seats. And there's all these sort of unexpected acts of kindness and, and generosity. And she said there's a real community of of people on the trains. That's awesome. She makes a, um, a wonderful um, quote. Now, where is it? Oh, she says, trains are rolling libraries of information and all it takes is to reach out to passengers to bind together their tales. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. That is lovely. So I loved this book. It's observant. It's funny. Um, she's a marvellous travel writer. I felt that I, I got transported to a range of destinations, which given that we can't travel at the moment. It's a good way to do it. <laughs> but the other thing I just wanted to say about it, um, her travel writing is so good and it felt really nice to to read a travel writer who isn't sort of dripping with white privilege because mm. I think she gives a brings a really real perspective. So Yeah, and that's a that's a bit of a gap because it's um that's a bit of a trope for yeah, travel writing. For travel, isn't it? Yeah, it travel is. television. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yes. But great, love it. Oh, mm. fantastic. Well, it sounds like a real adventure story. Mm. And so speaking of adventures, I, I'm really chomping my way through a real ripper of a yarn right now. Um, lots of adventure in this one too. Um, suburban adventure mm. only. Um, it kicks off in Brisbane's rougher working class suburbs in 1983. The book I've been reading is Boy Swallows Universe by Australian author Trent Dalton. Now, this is a 2018 publication. I can't work out whether it was just a slow burn or whether I'm really late Mm. to the party, but I only really caught the buzz on this book about 18 months ago. And by the time I actually got round to requesting it, his second novel was out, um, All Our Shimmering Skies. Um, Well, whatever it was, um, this one seems to be no secret to most of Auckland libraries. Um, It's three years after publication and the requests for it are still pouring in, Um, but there are loads of copy and it's in every format that you could want, so... Don't don't hesitate like I did. Just mm. jump in there. And this is a coming of age book. It's one of my favourite genres. I, oh, I love too. these stories. 
Um, our lead, Eli Bell, is 13 years old. He's got a huge heart and big plans. He really wants to make a better life for himself and his family and he'll do whatever it takes to get that. He also wants to be a crime writer. He's been around crime so much growing up so he feels he's got lots to add to that. Now it's told from his perspective. Um, His brother August is one year older. He's a talented artist and he's selectively mute following a traumatic incident in his childhood. Um, but actually, even though he's mute, he's actually extremely eloquent in his own way, and the two brothers understand each other perfectly. Now, they both adore their beautiful but troubled mum, and they really want to protect and provide for her. And most of all, they wanted to stay clear of the drugs, the dealing, mm. and all the deadbeat kind of dads, stepdads, boyfriends that um, keep, keep turning up at mm. random moments. Now, hiding behind the suburban curtains and shop fronts and the walls of the local prisons of this this area, um, Dalton's managed to create this cast of such memorable characters. You've got a family of Vietnamese heroin importers with a with a sort of a shop front or a restaurant um, kind of covering the covering the crime, um, and a teenage bully who's being prepared to take over his mother's throne. Uh, there's an artificial limb manufacturer who's got a drug empire running behind that. Um, there's a Polish hard man with a terrifying reputation for torture and dismemberment, mysterious journalist, um, female journalist, and there's also Slim Halliday, who's an alleged murderer and a local legend for his numerous jailbreaks. Now, Slim's the boy's babysitter and mentor. <laughs> I shouldn't. Like, what a community right? of people. <laughs> Completely. He's built an entire universe here. Yeah. Um, and he encourages Eli to write every day, and he also matchmakes him to a, um, a pen pal in prison who turns out to be mm. the head of a massive gang, a uh, motorcycle gang. Now, this one's fairly long. It's over 450 pages, but there's no stopping the train, Mm. speaking of trains, once it gets started. It's got a super hooky plot. It's got a cinematic scope, great set pieces, and beautiful writing. It's got lurching between these scenes of real tension and and extreme violence, and then it just suddenly takes a little pause and it stops, and you get these really closely observed details of everyday life, very beautifully drawn, and that's part of Eli's um, view of the world as a writer. He's always Mm. looking for the details, and that's something that Slim taught him to do. There's a little hint of magic realism. Oh, not really your bag, no. I know. Yeah. Um, not sure if it comes out or not because I haven't quite finished the book. Um, it really reminded me of sort of train spotting and, you know, the movie Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, that Guy Ritchie movies. Um, but it's got heaps of Aussie humour, mm-hmm. lots of heart and soul. It's a massive cliche, but this one literally made me laugh out loud and it also had me in tears and that was just oh. in the first few chapters. Yeah, because at first I was going to ask you whether you thought it was like the castle, but I guess it's not really, is it? Look, it's got elements of that. It definitely has that sort of domestic um, warmth. There's a warmth between the characters um, that you see in there, but, um, yeah, quite a different setting. But it's definitely mm. got that kind of, um, yeah, rough and ready humour. Oh, right. And, um, yeah. Which they do well in Australia. They really I mean, do. I think we do it here well as well. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I, it sounds great. It's so good. I can't wait to finish it. Yeah. Now, you were telling me about what's on your TBR list. Yeah, I thought I'd plug in um, one more non fiction read, um, harking back to our um, discussion earlier about um, Muslim writers. Um, the one on my TBR list that I'd really like to get into is It's Not About the Burqa, Muslim Woman on Faith, Feminism, Sexuality and Race. This is an anthology of essays edited by Mariam Khan, a British author, 
and it's been published in 2019 and it's available on Overdrive as well as um, in, in our physical collection. Now, Mariam Khan is a British writer and activist. She noticed that um, in the British press particularly, Muslim women were often being represented as silenced under the thumb of their religion and the men and really a homogenous view of of who they were. So she decided she wanted to change that narrative. So she asked 20 very different Muslim women to speak up for themselves and write essays on topics that were important to them. So we have essays about experiences of racism, um, rights around wearing or not wearing hijab and burqa, um, discussions around relationships and sexuality, including what it's like to be queer and Muslim, and the pressure that conform to stereotypes that comes from both within the Muslim culture and also from the outside oh, looking from in. from outside. Yeah, it looks really interesting. And I, when I was looking at the description, I loved um, the uh, sentence written about one of the contributors. It said, too loud, swears too much and goes too far. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great as your epitaph? Right. Yes. You'd be proud or, to have it. <laughs> yes. Or else I was thinking, if I ever ask you for a reference, will you promise that you'll write that? Absolutely. I'll yeah. do that for you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so because books, they're, they're really a mirror, aren't they? They can be, yeah. They often say that books can be a mirror, a window or a door, you know, providing either a reflection back to the reader or an entry into someone else's world and someone else's perspective. Now, Mariam Khan's really a committed advocate for more diversity in books and publishing, and um, we're really all about that kaupapa at Auckland Libraries. So we've got a little hot tip for you that ties yes, in with that. we sure do. So today's hot tip, it's actually a, a sneak peek at what's coming up on Books and Beyond in a few weeks' time. Can't wait, actually. And we'll, we're going to be talking to the Auckland Library's publishing lead, Anne-Marie Shepherd, um, about her role. Uh, it's a relatively new role, mm. and she's supporting Māori and Pacifica writers to publish their own stories. And these stories will be included in our library collections. And um, on this show, we'll also be talking to our lovely colleague, um, author and uh, Pokokori Fakata Poko Ta Paianga, se- senior librarian Terry Taala. And she has written and published her first book for children. And the book title is Mama Hiakai Ana Mato. Sorry, I didn't make a very good. Um, no worries, we've got a couple Go of weeks to one. I'm going to have to practice before <laughs> Terry and Anne-Marie come on the show. <laughs> so um, anyway, we both saw the book in the flesh yesterday, didn't we? I was in the distance, but it looks amazing. Um, what an achievement to to write write a book. Oh, it's wow. so wonderful. And it's also been, um, it's a book um, in Te Reo Māori, and it's also been translated by another colleague of ours, Veronica um, yes. Lingalinga, into Samoan. So yes. we get two for the, no, I don't know if it's the price of one, but yes. we've got two beautiful books. But yes, and what an achievement for, for both of them. Absolutely. So we should have, um, as well as Terry, we'll have Veronica on the show as well, oh, which wonderful. will be lovely. Yeah. Really looking forward to that. So, um, yeah, wow, good for them. Yeah, you've got quite a lot coming up on the show in the next few weeks, haven't yes. you? Yes, yep, so I've got a few few authors coming up, so um, very excited yeah. about sure that. Yeah, make sure you tune in for those because these are 
big names. and We're not going to tell you who, but tune yes. in. Yeah, we've got some big big names. Heavy hitters. A, yes. Heavy hitters coming on to books and beyond. A coup. Yeah, so keep keep listening and you'll you'll find out more about that. Um, yeah, so look, just wanted to say to our listeners, thanks for, for tuning in today and take care and be kind to yourselves. We will um, put our book list on, on our blog, so you'll be able to find that. But um, big books today and um, lots to think about. Mm. A lovely mirror and doorway into our society. So thanks once again and haere rā, kā kite anō. Ka